That's perfect. Let's pray. And then right at the end, we're going to lift these up, but we'll pray for those if you would, and we'll come forward in just a second. Father, bless you. These you've heard, and we lift them up to you today. Thank you for what you're doing here. We bless the Spirit's work in this church. We thank you, Lord. Bring us together in unity and one in the bond of love and pour your spirit out. Awaken our hearts and all the activities as you guide us. We ask that we would only follow your spirit and do what you called us to do. But, dear Lord, do it with all diligence and, Lord, all perseverance that we would continue on because, Lord, we know the world needs to know Jesus and we need to grow in our faith. And I pray you'd grow us up, dear Lord, that we would not just drink the milk of the word, but that we would eat the meat. And dear God, today, thank you that you're doing that. We're growing, and dear Lord, today, you're doing great and mighty things in this body. And so, Lord, now, as we pray for these for healing, we pray that uh, you would bless and that you would guide us through this time, and we lift you up. Amen. If you would, as you're getting seated, turn in the Bible to Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26. Genesis 26. We're going to talk about reclaiming your inheritance. If you'll look at verses, uh, let's look at verse 12 through 25, and we'll read quickly here. It's talking about Isaac. And we're talking about, obviously, in relation to Father's Day, but also in just our lives. Isaac sowed seed in that land, and in that year he reaped a hundred times what was sown. The Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. He had flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, and many slaves, and the Philistines were envious of him. The Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's slaves had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling them with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, Leave us, for you are much too powerful for us. So Isaac left there, camped in the valley of Gerar, and lived there. And Isaac reopened the water wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. And he gave them the same name his father had given them. And then Isaac's slaves dug in the valley and found a well of spring of water there. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, The water is ours. And so he named the well Quarrel, because they quarreled with each other. And then they dug another well and quarreled over that one also, and so he named it Hostility. And he moved from there and dug another, and they did not quarrel over it. He named it Open Spaces and said, For now the Lord has made room for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. From there he went up to Beersheba, And the Lord appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant, Abraham. And so he built an altar there and called on the name of the Lord and pitched his tent there. And Isaac's slaves also dug a well there. 1940, as Paris fell under Nazi control, the German troops began to plunder and loot thousands of artworks in the museums and galleries and all and so forth. And they actually lost one of the paintings there that wound up in the University of Oklahoma that was one precious painting. It was entitled The Shepherdness Bringing in Sheep. And it was an 1886 work by a French Impressionist artist there, Camille Pizarro. 
and uh, they they took it, and and this lady who would, should have been her inheritance, this particular picture, sued Oklahoma University for it because she wanted to reclaim her inheritance, and obviously it had been stolen in a way, and so it wound up there, and it's okay, and I don't know the outcome of whatever happened to that because sometime back this actually lawsuit took place, but it was a painting that had been transferred down of somebody's inheritance. And in a way, it had been stolen there. And there was a time in the life of Isaac that he too had to reclaim a portion of his inheritance. Because Abraham had left an inheritance for him and it was a valuable commodity at this particular time. And that was something that we would just take for granted. And it was wells that Abraham had dug. See, back then, the commodity was water. Water was precious back then. And these wells had been dug by Abraham. And yet we see here in the scriptures where the Philistines came in and actually filled up those wells with dirt and so forth. And so that was a tragedy. It's the same way with us today. What is happening in the, the analogy here and the parallelism I want to bring about is the fact that we as fathers dig wells for our children, spiritual wells. We dig those things for our children. So that obviously, because as we think about what water is, water is refreshment. Water sort of revives. We have to have water to be able to live. And it's just like, obviously, the water of the Word of God. We need that to obviously replenish our spiritual part of us and so forth. And we realize that as, as fathers, that we are obviously making an impression upon our children. We're doing something very, very important for the life of that child. Now, I want to say today, this can also refer to grandchildren. It can refer to your neighbors. It can refer to many people that you meet every day. In one way or another, you're going to dig a spiritual well if you're obedient to the Lord. And so for us to be able to be faithful with that well is that we've got to realize the importance of digging that spiritual well. Because I can give my, my grandson all the toys. I could have given my daughter all these things. And, and I could give other people all these things. But most important is, are you doing something spiritually in their life? Because eternity is coming up real fast. And we never know that time when the Lord calls us home. And we need to dig those spiritual wells for other people. So fathers are very important. We know statistically, and I saw this in Ecuador. I see it here in Houston. I see it all over in the divorce rate. I see that families are obviously torn apart. I see families today that uh, children are rebellious. And many times the reason for it is, is because the family structure has been destroyed by the enemy of our souls. And the statistics are staggering. And actually I taught on that uh, particular subject for about four or five nights down in, in Quito when I taught on it. Because there in that city, just like here, is that we saw so many divorces, we see so much immorality, we see so much division in the family, and we see a complete destruction, really, of our culture today. And it's because somehow, maybe we've tried to dig those spiritual wells, and we wandered away from the purpose why we're here on this earth. And that is to worship the Lord. But also pass down our spiritual inheritance to our children, our grandchildren, to, from generation to generation. And this is what was happening here at that time. You know, maybe some of you here as we think about this today. And, and you've received this spiritual inheritance. 
You know, you've had spiritual wells dug for you. You've had your, your family. They taught you about Jesus. They talked to you about the plan of salvation. They talked to you about the Word of God. They talked to you about growth and maturity in the Lord. And they invested in your life and taught you the ways of the Lord. And they left a lasting legacy of devotion and faithfulness and had a great impact upon your life. But somehow, maybe somehow the devil has gotten in and that the devil has filled in those spiritual wells that your family has left you and somehow that you just feel like you've been robbed and you feel dry and somehow that you may feel that, that you're not obviously that you're sort of sitting on the sidelines there. You've become dehydrated spiritually because that spiritual well has been filled up with the things the devil has put in front of you and filled it up with. And what happened with Isaac? He took and re-dug the wells. And I believe today what's happening is the church are re-digging the wells, the spiritual wells that God has given us. Because we have an inheritance in the Lord. Amen? We have an inheritance. It's a rich inheritance in Jesus today. And the devil will do all that he can to try to steal that inheritance. And he has stolen it from a lot of people. I'll tell you, I meet him all the time. And so maybe you do too. He's stolen that inheritance today. And we have worked hard to be able to do that. And so there are a couple things I want to look at. First of all, the inheritance was received when we look at the first several verses there. You know, Isaac, Isaac <clears throat> sowed in the land and received in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord had blessed him. God blessed Isaac in a powerful way there. He had, he had harvested 100 times more than he planted. That's sort of like a seed type of thought. You begin to sow seeds, and you know that the, plant, the, the harvest is far greater than what you've ever realized. Begin to sow seeds. You know what you do when you tithe or when you go beyond the tithe, when you give sacrificially? You begin to sow. You do what God calls you to do. And you find that you're blessed way far greater than you can ever imagine. Now, those blessings come in different ways. But when you tithe, and when you give beyond a tithe, and when you, get, give, when you give yourself away, maybe God tells you to give up, go up to somebody and, and maybe to help them financially. Or maybe somehow you help them in a, a practical way also. Whatever it may be that God calls you to do, when you begin to give like that, the Bible says that obviously in the measure that you give will be in the measure that you receive, pressed down and flowing over. In other words, the blessings of God come back so far greater than what we have and what we experience when we give like that. We don't necessarily do and give because of that. We give out of obedience and love. But when you begin to give, let me tell you, you'll find you can't outgive God. He'll keep pouring back in you more and more. Why? It's because he has found a good steward. He has, he's found somebody trustworthy for what he is giving to us today. Sometimes we want to hoard on in on, to hold in and so forth. Let me tell you today, it's not my nature necessarily to give, to be honest with you. But when I do give, and when I get out of my comfort zone, when I step out like that, God blesses me beyond any measure. And I bet you could say the same thing too. And this is true today. You know, just doing what God tells you to do. Isaac inherited from his father Abraham. The water was valuable. And I'm thankful today for the, the spiritual wells that was dug, they were dug for me. I'm trying to dig that for Allison and also for my grandson. I want to leave an inheritance for my children. My children are taken care of. And I, and I believe I never know when the bottom's going to fall out. I believe our economy could, could certainly collapse at any time because of the debt that we're in and so forth. 
But I want to give them something that can never be taken away, and that is eternal security in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what I'm here for, to dig that type of well for them. I can do those things for them, and certainly they're great. But when I begin to do those things spiritually and part that faith into their hearts as God directs me and my paths, I want to tell you today, you can't take it away. It's the best blessing that you could ever have. God has blessed us with all these blessings, all the blessings in the spiritual realm. You know, many times I've, I've done funerals because of hospice over the years, many of them, and they talk about their father and all, and they'll say, well, what a good man he was, and they'll say things like, well, he worked hard, and he loved his family, he took me hunting, and he took me fishing and all, there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you today, when I'd be in the presence of people there at the funeral home of their father or their loved one, is when they told me that, hey, my daddy dug wells for us. He taught us about Jesus. He lived according to the word of God. He showed us the importance of serving God. That blessed my heart. They said, Jim, you just didn't know mama like we did, or my daddy like you did. He was a man of God. And he just really, he, he dug those spiritual wells for us. And today, I heard so many families say, today, we are who we are. Because our parents dug those spiritual wells. Are you digging wells for your children? Are you digging wells for that next generation that's coming up? Are you doing something for God? Are you beginning to step out and saying the most important thing in this world is is that you're saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ and nothing that you can do to earn it because we would boast in it because of that natural mind that we have, the fleshly mind. We say, thank you, Lord, for the grace. Are we doing that? Are we imparting that? Do you know you can impart things to people? I ask for an impartation. You can do that. We're here. You can impart that faith into their hearts. You can pray for them. Lord, I ask you to impart that to their hearts. It's the Lord. But we ask him for it today. Second thing is, the inheritance was robbed. In verse 15, for all the wells which his father's servants had, had dug in the days of Abraham, the Philistines had stopped them up and filled them with earth here. The Philistines filled up the wells that belonged to Isaac there. And one of the strategies of war during this time was to fill in the well of your enemy. And to do such a thing actually was equivalent to dropping a bomb on them. It actually was an act of declared war when you stopped up their well. So this is a serious matter because, again, water was life. Water gave life to people there. And so the devil will do all he can to destroy the legacy of a father. And your children, grandchildren, maybe your friends, your neighbors, and everything else, he will do all. He is committed, and he's very persistent. He doesn't back off until you resist him. So they'll flee from you. Submit yourself to God and resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And we face an enemy that's stronger and more cunning than the Philistines. And our enemy, Satan, he goes around like a roaring lion, Looking for somebody to devour here. Somehow maybe your ancestors dug the wells in your life. And maybe you received that spiritual inheritance that we see here. And yet we see that all along the devil is trying to fill in those wells. He's trying to get you and me distracted from why we're really here. Get involved with the things of the world. Become more worldly. Do the things the way the world does because we're like salmon that are going upstream. We're going against the tide. We're not like the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. In Quito, Ecuador, there's tremendous witchcraft that's there. There's a lot going on witchcraft. There's a lot of the occult that are there. 
And so what we have found and what I found in the last two weeks and there was ministry that took place was an opportunity to go in and pray with people who had been involved in witchcraft. And so it's a powerful, powerful satanic thing. And demons are attached to it. The reality of demons, I've always told people, people in this Western mindset, again, think that maybe that the demons stop at the border. They don't come here. No, the demons are here also. They don't care whether or not you think they're here or not. They're here. And so in that country, though, we see there's a lot of, there's a history of witchcraft. There's a history of a lot of the occult there. A lot of people in bondage in that time. And a lot of them, what's happened is, is their family maybe. Maybe there were spiritual wells they were trying to dig or they were digging and so forth. And then those, those spirits come in and they begin to fill up those spiritual wells of people that are wanting to be free. Last two weeks we saw a lot of people get free. A lot of people. Witchcraft was broken over people. Generational sins. Generational curses were broken over people. We saw people delivered. We saw people set free. And people that could rejoice in the Lord again like God has called us to do as his children. And that's good news, church. Isn't that good news? You see, what happened is we go in together and we redig those spiritual wells. And God begins to do something so significant today. Because, you see, our spiritual life is most important. I'm not denying we need to eat. And I pointed out the gravy to you just a few minutes ago. And the good, by the way, the gravy wasn't just good, but the biscuits were good also. I don't want to forget about the biscuits. Wow, I stepped on the scales this morning and I looked and I'm, oh, what happened? From this day to this day, this is impossible that the scales could be wrong. I guess they're wrong. <laughs> they're wrong. They were wrong, weren't they? Weren't they, Jim? They were wrong. If you fill up your well, you'll become spiritually dehydrated, you'll become discouraged. You'll become spiritually weak and easy to defeat. You see, that's what God is saying today. And actually here, Abraham dug the wells and then he named them. Iron wells have been named also. You see, Satan seeks to fill your well of spiritual health with disease and with infirmity. Satan seeks to fill up, obviously, your well that's named joy. Satan seeks to fill up your well named hope, courage, a hunger for the word of God. Satan seeks to destroy us and he fills up our spiritual wells. I told the men yesterday of a story of a young lady 17 years old. And she accepted Christ several years ago. And people all along there in that first week told me, Jim, we hope that you can meet Paula. We want you to talk to Paula. We want you to talk to Paula. She is bulimic, and she's trying to cut herself, and she's trying to kill herself. And she's become bulimic so long that it's affecting the, her mouth health, her mouth care, losing her teeth. And I said, okay, if it's the Lord's will, then we'll see what happens. Well, Saturday... We were praying and all and some things doing. I was doing a teaching with the young people. And um, some people came down and said, Jim, Paul is here. Paul is here. She's come back. She's, she took off and left the place, the church, and they went out and got her. She was going to possibly hurt herself, and they thought that would be the case. And she, they said, she's come back, and she's up there in the corner. And the church has a, 
a glassed off place for the babies and all. They can hear the service and be a part of it. It sits on a mountain, and, uh, it, but it's glassed in. There she was up there. And I walked in. I said, Lord, I have no idea what to say. I have no idea what to do. But I said, you, you got something going on here, and we thank you. And so you speak, Lord. And so I walked on in, opened the door, and she's sitting over there, and she looked like she weighed about 80, 90 pounds. She's drawn up to nothing. Had bags on her eyes. She, her face was sort of drawn and so forth, and she was kind of, tears were coming out of her eyes, and she was crouched and leaning over in the corner. And I went over and I sat by her. She didn't know me. It's the first time I met her. And one of the other ladies that speaks Spanish, my uh, a friend, uh, sat with me. But Paula can speak English and Spanish fluently. So I said, Paula, I introduced myself. And I said, can I talk to you? And she reluctantly went, yes. And I said, I want to tell you a couple of things. And I said, I'm going to be real, real clear and straight with you. I said, the devil is trying to kill you. And I said, so far, it looks like he's been, he's close to be, being successful because you've tried to kill yourself. You cut yourself, and you're doing all these things. But I feel like even after talking to people and all, that you have accepted Christ, and you know Jesus. Is that right? And she barely, she shook her head, yes. And I said, so I want to tell you both sides. One is wanting to kill you. The other one wants to bring you back and give a hope for you because right now you don't have any hope. And I began to talk to her, and I realized what I was saying was not what Jim Barcliffe says, I realized it was the Lord and the anointing of God was on that conversation, mainly mine. And the other lady, Andrea, was stand, sitting there with me and she would add something to it every now and then. And I started talking to her about the love of Jesus and the plan that Jesus Christ has for her and how he wants to impart hope to her heart even at this moment. And I don't know, 45 minutes, an hour, I just talked. And I knew it was the Lord because I didn't know what to say. I had no idea. And I shared that love and I began sharing. And God, at the end, things, her face started changing. And you could see her countenance changing. And she began to open her eyes. And she looked over at me and she smiled. And she began to change. In that hour, God began to impart hope. And so at the end, I prayed with her. God touched her. The power of God came on her and touched her. This lady came from a home that was broken. Her father had left the home when she was a little girl. And she had gone to, he had gone to Columbia. And he, she had no idea who her father was. Her mother, being a, just a single parent, struggled and had gotten in relationships with other men and the man she's in a relationship now has they've separated so she's had a torn home all of her life and yet somehow through that she's come to church and she's heard the word of God and she's heard about how much Jesus loves her and that hope down deep began to kindle and to start a fire in her heart so I went on and left I went out and talked and prayed with other people. They had another teaching there about 3 o'clock in the afternoon, and I went in, and she was sitting in that teaching. And there were questions that the teacher was asking, and she'd raise her hand, and she was asking questions she was answering. In an hour, 
God changed this girl's life. Amen. Give God the glory. Amen. And throughout the rest of my time there, she hugged me when I left Thursday night and said, Jim, I want to see you again. God's done something here. And her mother hugged me and said, Jim, thank you. Well, it wasn't me. It was a divine appointment. That's who God is. There were spiritual wells that had been dug for Paula, and there are spiritual wells that are dug for all of us. But let me tell you today, we're in a war. And you want to think about it and see it, I want to tell you, for two weeks I was in warfare in Quito, Ecuador. But it's the same here. It's not any different. And when I left, that girl's life was changed. She was holding her mother's hand, and they'd been fighting like cats and dogs. She had hope because we began to dig those spiritual wells again. Isaac didn't just go somewhere else and dig new wells. He reclaimed his inheritance. You see, Paula was a, is a child of God, and I felt sitting there, I said, you know Jesus, Paula, and I, can, I know. I can tell God was revealing things to me. And she went, yes, I do. And I said, you know Jesus loves you. And she said, yes. And I said, you need to proclaim that. You need to let the enemy know that the, you, Jesus is your Lord. And you'll have no more of this. And she began to change. A week later, when I left, there's a changed girl. This is what's happening in our society. Satan has come in and filled up the wells of people's hearts. But let me tell you, things are happening today in the church. Marriages are getting restored. There's a power of God unleashed in the, in the, in the churches today where people gather. I saw that in Ecuador. We see that here. God is up to great things. Because God is the one. He's going to dig those spiritual wells. And he's going to re-obviously hydrate us. Because, Lord, my, I, one lady told me, Jim, pray for me. And I said, how can I pray for you? She said, I am so dry. I'm so dry in my soul. Would you pray for me? And I prayed God would pour water out upon that dry ground. So many people are discouraged. So many people are just famishing for the word of God. And God is beginning to redig those spiritual wells. So that we can all walk in the fullness of what he longs for and what he desires. It's important that we maintain the wells that we have inherited. It's very important that we redig those wells that have been attacked by the enemy. In verse 19... And Isaac's servants dug in the valley and found there a well of springing water. He talks about they're redigging these things. And as you go over and you look at verse 24, and I want you to look at it. And the Lord appeared unto them the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not, for I am with thee. One 14-year-old girl and the parents were talking about, and the mom was telling me, Jim, my daughter, I believe, has a spirit of fear. She's, she's, she's afraid. She won't come out. She's like she's, she's in a cocoon. She, she's withdrawn. She won't come out of it. And I said, we began to talk, and I felt like the Lord said, she's got a spirit of fear. And what happened in Ecuador when that earthquake took place on the western coast there, I believe that 
that somehow it unleashed a spirit of fear. People are afraid because there have been aftershocks. They've got a volcano that's erupting that possibly right now it's being stayed, but it's actually active and it's erupting. And it will wipe out a large part of the southern part of Ecuador. And I was in one home on Monday night that they said was directly in the path of where the lava would go as it erupts. And so there's a release of spirit of fear and all. And I began to pray with this young lady, teenager, about it. About the fear. And she got set free from it. You see, what's happening is God is redigging those spiritual wells there. Just like Isaac did there. God is saying today, as fathers, mothers, churches, families, it's that we are responsible under the power of God. It's God doing it. But that God wants to redig those spiritual wells. I believe he wants to redig those spiritual wells here in the United States of America. Because without Jesus, we don't have hope. Without Jesus, those wells are covered over. And the enemy has come in and taken hope away from people's hearts. They don't have any hope. They don't believe there's no future for them. And God is saying, you and I need to get ready. And we need to be aware of these things. But we need to remain faithful. Because you and I are called for such a time as this. The people right now that have been named in this sanctuary that we're talking about, that you feel like that you want to be a part to redig. I'm not going to pick on anybody else, but Gov said, I had a burden for Abraham. We're going to get him a ticket. We're going to get him down here. And what my, my brother in Christ, Gov, said, is that he said basically what we're going to do is we're going to give you hope because of Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what it is. Others of you here today the same thing. Paula talked to me before the service about lost people. She's got a burden for lost people, lost children, lost people. There's so many. And I feel the same way you do, Paula. There's so many people out there who don't know Christ, who never, never heard the word. And what's happening through... My sister Paula and all of you here today, because we're all, obviously, we know God is the only one that can dig the spiritual wells. People need to know that hope because they're hopeless. And it's all over the world. God is doing this today. The enemy would have nothing better than to cover your well up. You become spiritually famished. You're hungry. And so I pray today that all of us would be imparted with a hunger for the Word of God and hunger for the presence of the Lord. A hunger to where it will only be satisfied in the presence, in the fullness of Christ. And we know in Psalm 16, in the presence of the Lord, there's a fullness of joy in the presence of Jesus. There's fullness of joy. We're in spiritual warfare, church. Put your armor on, the whole armor of God. Suit up, because I know it's going to get worse. Now you say, boy, that's a discouraging message here on Father's Day. But really it's not. Really what I'm saying today is, is that you and I have an opportunity to bless people. 
by digging some spiritual wells of hope. And digging things in their lives that we know God wants to use you in, whether it be evangelism, or whether or not it be your neighbor, whether or not it be your family member, whoever it may be. God has called us. We're not here by accident. And we're not here, obviously, as you know, and whoever leaves with the most toys win. Uh -uh. We're here to impart hope and faith from the Spirit of the Lord in your life and my life. I talked to the men yesterday, and we'll close with this. A lot of times we have a mindset that, you know, uh, we question because we intellectually want to understand everything. Intellectually, I don't throw intellect out because intellect is given to us by the Lord. God is far bigger than our intellect. He's far bigger than anything we have ever imagined. And he wants to touch our hearts in a powerful way. I know each one of you here would say, there is no limit to God and what he wants to do. We know we sing songs like when we're little children, right on up. We know all things are possible. Just believe. Sandra was telling me that over there at her bedside yesterday. And the state that she's in, this is that old song she'd sing when she was in church. All things are possible, only believe. And I said, bingo. There's the hope. And so what we did, I prayed for her and talked to her the word of God. And kind of, hopefully, the spirit of the Lord fanned those flames of hope. And I could see her countenance changing. That when I left, because of God, glory adios, because of God, she began to have hope. That's why we're here. But sometimes because of that, we know, even in, as I mentioned yesterday, that in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 and 18, or 18, it says, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror that at the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. And this is from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're changed, we all know that scripture, from glory to glory. All we with unveiled faces. Remember what happened when Moses came down from the mountain? And he, uh, the people said, don't let us see the glory of the Lord. And put something over you. Keep the glory back. And they were like, whoa, don't come near us. But what this scripture is saying is, we all reflect the glory of God. And we're changed from glory to glory to glory. We're becoming more like Jesus. Our whole, obviously, goal and move is to become more like, be conformed to the image of Christ. Become more like Jesus. And we're changed from glory to glory. And these unveiled faces, but what happens is the world comes along and puts another veil on us. What is it? Sin. It could be traditions. It could be uh, worshiping something you know you shouldn't worship. Maybe something has taken the place of God in your life. And so there's a veil that sort of comes down. And so sometimes other things take place in our life except for Jesus Christ. And then we realize he is no longer first place in our lives. 
What did the Bible say in Revelation about the church at Ephesus? He said, I've got something against you. You've done some good things. But the one thing I have against you is you've lost your first love. Who was the first love? Jesus. And he said, repent and do the things that you once did. Or I'm going to take your lampstand. I'm going to take your witness from you. And so we walk away from the, our first love because of that veil gets more something. Busyness gets in the way. We become worldly. We become busy. We become everything. You, you somehow, you see today, you don't worship a pastor. You don't worship a church. You don't worship a denomination. You don't worship your family. You love them. But if somehow any of these things in your life, and maybe God has revealed it, could become usurp Jesus' position of being first place in your life, then that veil comes down. You can't see the glory of God. All of us know what that veil is. All of us are challenged every day. We know we're sometimes just stumbling through life. We have a Savior, and it doesn't mean we're not saved. But as Christians, our faces get veiled because we get off course. What God is doing is rekindling a love affair, a love affair with Jesus. Because you see, as he gets the bride ready, he said, without spot or wrinkle or blemish, He's got to get us ready. He said, that's what he's coming for. And you go, but I got a lot of spots, got a lot of wrinkles. I got a lot of blemishes. We all do. But we're changed from glory to glory. And so I want to tell you how to get rid of the veil this morning. Real simple. It's come back and make a confession. Maybe like a recommitment just in that your own heart, in your own way. And tell Jesus this. Say, Jesus, you are my Lord. And I don't want anything or anybody to take your place. And when you tell him, say, Lord, I mean that. And I mean nothing, absolutely nothing. Jesus, you are my Lord. Something's veiled my face because I don't feel your power. I don't feel that changing from glory to glory like I used to. And I'm coming back, Jesus. You are my Lord. I believe in this day, in this time, that we are going to see the harvest. Many theologians would say, well, the harvest is already, all this stuff's already been taking place. I don't believe that. Because I, I believe, my God, that there's no limit. And so as he does that, and he gets his bride, and I'm talking a lot about the bride, aren't I? Because you know why? Because God's putting on my heart a lot about the bride. And why does that mean? I don't know. But I do know this. One thing, he's, he's saying, get ready, church. Get ready. Because I'm getting the bride ready. And you know who we're going to meet? The groom. His name is Jesus. And he just wants us to come and love him with all of our hearts, our minds, our soul, and our strength. With our total being. And he doesn't want anything. In my life. My life. And your life. To take his place. Let's pray together. Father we thank you for your word. Your truth. Thank you today that you are. Our Lord. You're the Lord over Lighthouse Fellowship. You're the Lord over Jim Barcliffe's life. You're the Lord over all. And dear Lord today anywhere where I 
have somehow allowed that veil to come back down of whatever it may be, we ask you right now, dear God, I'm asking you to remove it because I want to be changed from glory to glory. I want to be more like Jesus. I pray that every person in this place would have the same prayer. That everybody here would say, I want to be more like Jesus. And I want to be so in love with Jesus that nothing at all stops me from fulfilling the highest purposes of Almighty God and what He has for me at this particular time of history. So our prayer today, Lord Jesus, is come, Lord Jesus, come. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen.